You are listening to the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast. Today I am actually outside, so you're going to hear chickens. There's one coming to join me right now and potentially some cars going by. Now I was out here painting a chair, which yes, I will go more in depth on that. I'm actually painting upholstery, which is a new concept to me. And I got to thinking about how I really needed to be recording next week's podcast episodes. And I'm really just sitting here painting. So I decided that I should kill two birds with one stone and do this job while doing my podcast. So if you hear a random chicken or a car or a bird, you'll know why. Today I wanted to dive into a little bit more in depth on the topic of frugality. I talked about this in episode 55. I called it money saving tips from a naturally frugal girl. And it really resonated with a lot of you. I had so many people on Instagram tell me that it really made an impact on them. I got various questions which prompted me to want to resume the conversation. So I put a question box up on my Instagram stories just to see if any of you had any specific questions pertaining to saving money, so frugality, and then paying off debt or anything I talked about in episode 55. So I thought I would just address some of those Q&A questions and continue the conversation. My name is Lisa, mom of six and creator of the blog and YouTube channel, Farmhouse on Boone. Join me as I share with you my love for creating a handmade home from scratch cooking and a little mom and entrepreneur life along the way. All right, so first I'm gonna tell you a little bit about what I'm doing right now. I am painting upholstery, which sounds crazy, and I agree that it really does, and that it, logically it sounds like it wouldn't work. But actually, in the one I was telling you about, episode 55, I was talking about how I've been looking for living room furniture, and I really wanted to get this certain set, but it was ridiculously expensive, and I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Well, I'm spraying the chair, by the way, if you hear that weird noise, but I found a set pretty much days later, if not, if I hadn't already found it by then, but it was for an antique chair, love seat, and sofa, all matching, all just beautiful. The only problem was, and it was all for $75. The only problem was that I don't really love the upholstery. And so I decided to buy it and my first instinct was I'm going to reupholster it. But after considering how much time it would take, because it would seriously take so much time. I actually even reached out to a couple upholstery shops in my area to be like, hey, do you wanna do this project? Because I want it done in some green velvet, but I also just don't wanna do it. So I decided to look into other options and I found several people on YouTube who chalk painted their couches. And I recall hearing about this because a shop in my town, I went there one time and there was the most gorgeous sofa and it had a sold sign on it. And I really wanted it and I was like, how did you, reupholster this so beautifully. It was an antique sofa for like $90 and I really wanted it, but it was already sold. And she said, I actually chalk painted it. So I started looking up tutorials and the premise is that you get the piece really, really wet. So I'm spraying it down. I'm dipping my paintbrush in water and then you let the paint soak into the fabric. So it's essentially a dyeing project. So right when it first goes on, it looks like it's gonna be the color that your paint is. But then when you come back an hour later, if you've done your job right, you've put enough water on there, it's soaked in and it's not sitting on top of the fabric so that it would be crunchy. 
it soaks in and dyes the fabric. So I'm on coat number two. It already actually looks almost how I want it, but I decided to do one more coat just to get a deeper saturation of the color. So if this turns out, of course, you're going to be seeing the whole process over on YouTube, the before and after. I really think that it will, and hopefully it'll save me from splurging on that set I was telling you about that I really struggled with as a frugal person to want to buy. I've never spent a lot of money on furniture. I know I can get it cheaper. So let's dive into the questions. I'm gonna, before I even look at my questions on Instagram, I am going to answer one because I remember somebody actually asking about furniture and how you save money. Because one of the things that you can really blow your budget on is furniture. If you move into a house and you need to buy beds for the kids, well then you need box springs and mattresses and sheets and then you need it for your room and then you need a couch. You could spend probably $20,000 on furniture and still not be getting anything top of the line, just like all furnished average stuff. So that's not something that's gonna be feasible for most people and most budgets and it's also not something that you have to do. So some of my top money-saving tips for furniture, my biggest one, of course, is Facebook Marketplace. That's where I got all of our beds, except for Daniel's crib, which Micah's still in now. I've gotten everything else on Facebook Marketplace. Now, I am a little bit funny about cribs because babies, I just, they're away from you in the middle of the night. They're so little and vulnerable and helpless, and I just worry with cribs. So that's something that I'll always buy brand new, but even still, you can not get anything more than two or $300 but every other bed in the house for every other family member has all been sourced from Facebook Marketplace, super cheap. So I just discovered actually a new feature, or actually I don't know if it's new, I just discovered a feature on Facebook Marketplace where you can set a search. So this is how I found my current furniture that I am painting at the moment. I'd been looking for key terms like antique couch, Victorian couch, antique sofas, all things I was typing in. And then one day Facebook prompted me and said, do you want to save this search so that if something pops up? And so I went in there, I set it to the terms I wanted to be notified about. And within a day, this set popped up. Now, I don't think that that's typical results that you would find like exactly what you want the next day. But I'm not sure they would have shown me this. And it was such a popular item that I had to go that day right then. So normally with Facebook Marketplace, if something's a really good deal and it, it's not lingering there for a long time, it's usually gonna be snatched up instantly. So I messaged the lady because Facebook actually sent me a notification and said, something matching your criteria has just been posted near you. And it was really near me, like 10 miles away, which was insane because normally I have to drive all over town to get stuff. And I messaged the lady and she said, when are you coming? Because I've had so many inquiries, like instantly within an hour, so many people wanted it because it's such good condition furniture and she really was just giving it away for a steal. And so I sent Luke over that day. I promised her we'd show up and he had to take two trips because we don't have a truck. So that's your tip. Set your Facebook search to what you're looking for. I recommend just thinking about one room at a time because otherwise you'll get overwhelmed and it'll really cloud up the search results. So like if you're looking for antique bed, antique couch, hutch for the kitchen, an armoire, Facebook won't really know in their algorithm what exactly you're looking for and it might just send you a whole bunch of random stuff and you might miss that really good deal. So narrow your sights down and just check every single day. And I'm telling you, if you're 
just a little bit patient, it will show up. I always struggle because I want something when I think of it, but I promise you that if you keep searching, you're gonna find something even better on Facebook Marketplace that somebody doesn't want for cheaper. So it'll be even better than if you'd went and gotten it brand new. Cause I know for me, the beds I got for the boys room and the bed for our room, I've never seen some on websites that I even like as much as them. So I think I even got something better than what I would have gotten. All right, now I'm gonna open up the questions and answer some more. How do you know how much fun money to have and spend? This is something that I've mostly just done intuitively based on where we are in life and how much disposable income we have. I know that Dave Ramsey has some kind of formula for this. Basically, the goal is at the beginning of each month to sit down, have a budget, and stick to it. So if having fun money is something that's really important to you that makes you feel a zest for life and motivated and happy, then maybe you should allocate more there and take some away from something less important to you like shoes or purses or something. As long as you have that budget and you stick to it, then you should be just fine and yours will look different from other people's. So like for us, it never was super important to have a lot of fun money. Like we don't go see movies or anything like that. We really enjoy hikes or like in the summer, we like to go swimming in creeks and stuff like that. So it can be a little bit more cost effective for us, but I do like going out to eat. I don't know why, it's just fun for me. And we don't do it much, but sometimes if we're out and about with all the kids, it's getting near dinner time. Like we've gone on a family adventure day or something like that. I'm just like, let's just stop and go to eat. Like that's something that I would feel deprived if we couldn't do that for fun every once in a while. So that would be something that I would put into the budget. And so just evaluate for yourself how important that is. Stick it in the budget and then don't feel any guilt when you go and spend that money because you're gonna know that you still have enough money to allocated to pay off your debt or save for emergencies or retirement. You've put every dollar where it should be and you have an amount allocated for that fun money, whatever the amount may be. Okay, the next question is how do you budget monthly food for a family of eight? This is the same exact concept. You will decide how important it is for you. Like if you're a person who's a little bit of a foodie and you like to have new and exotic things to taste, then you might want a little bit more in your budget. Or if like me, you want to be sure to have raw milk and to buy some of the things that are on the dirty dozen list organic, then you might take from another part of the budget that somebody else might spend a lot more on and put it there. But just again, making sure that you have enough by budgeting at the beginning of each month. So if when you make a budget at the end of each month, which may sound restrictive and difficult, and for me, it's something I've never actually done and it has felt restrictive for me, but if you're a person who is struggling with your finances and you can't seem to have enough money to go through the baby steps that Dave Ramsey has, like paying off your debt and saving for emergencies, then putting a budget together will be something that is immensely helpful and it'll allow you to not feel guilty. So whenever you have a certain amount of money designated towards something fun or towards your grocery budget, you know exactly what the parameters are. So you know when you need to scrape by and you also know when it's okay to spend a little bit extra money. For us, I mentioned this in the last episode if you want more in depth, but I just try to focus on whole foods. If you just buy veggies, 
fruits, grains, meats, cheeses, things like that, like the basic foods, then you aren't going to be able to overspend. It's where it's really the processed foods and name brand foods where you really run into trouble. Also like right now, food is really easy to come by and cheap because it's summer. So lots of farmers markets, they have such abundance, a lot of farmers that it, you can get a large amount of food for a really low price. And if you're really wanting to be budget conscious, but you want to eat in a locally grown way all year, you could even buy some to preserve. How do you pay off your credit card debt when you have multiple credit cards? So I recommend doing Dave Ramsey's method, which you attack the smallest debt first, regardless of the interest rate, and then you move on up the ladder to build momentum and morale and get yourself excited about paying off debt. So a lot of times like with anything in life, it is just difficult to get started. And once you get the ball rolling, it's not nearly as hard. How do you plan to teach your kids about being frugal? If you're making frugal decisions and your kids are with you a lot, then I think they'll just catch on to it. So one of my top ways to be frugal is with food. And my kids are around me all the time when I'm cooking from scratch. So to them, it's very normal to take basic ingredients like flour and eggs and turn that into pasta or to take a pumpkin and puree it down and then combine it with eggs and cinnamon to make these grain-free pumpkin pancakes or to take grains and put them through a mill and then transform it into bread. Most of it is probably more caught than taught. But we also do talk about it. The kids know that we're debt-free and that we don't take on debt. And so there are teachable moments as well. Okay, lots of questions about when you and your spouse have different opinions on what is priority as far as spending. I don't have much to speak on this. Thankfully for us, I don't know that we've ever disagreed on a money decision. We both are very frugal by nature. I guess, okay, I, I can think of something where it wasn't a disagreement, but when we bought this house, for example, whenever we were first looking at it, we did not have the cash to purchase it. Now, I knew that if we sold our house for a certain amount, and we saved that we would be able to do it. But it definitely made Luke more nervous because he was way more hardcore on the, we are paying cash for it. So with this house, we did actually get pre-approved for a loan because I wasn't sure that we were going to be able to swing it with cash. And that made Luke really nervous. Like when we went into the bank and we got the loan officer, he was like, I thought we said we were never going into debt again. And I'm like, well, but if we do go into debt, it's really going to be for like two months. It's That's it. But we ended up being able to not have to use that loan. But that would be a moment where we definitely did have to discuss like, you know, with each other. And had it been a hard no for him, it would just would have, we just would have had to work something out and agree on just waiting. But I wouldn't really call it a disagreement because I think I laid the numbers out well enough that he was like, okay yes, we will be able to pay this off soon if we aren't able to before purchasing. So with a spouse, my recommendation would be to get them into Dave Ramsey's class, like Financial Peace University. Hopefully you can get them to catch the vision with you for financial freedom and what that would do for your life to not be in debt. But if you can't, and they're really strongly opposed to it, of course, you can be frugal in what you purchase, but you can't really control your spouse, nor should you, because that could cause a lot of trouble. So, you know, get them listening to some some stuff by Dave Ramsey or other advisors who are really smart about debt and just 
from there, be gentle and hope that they will be able to see your side and how important that could be. What is your budget for gifts or go-to inexpensive gift ideas? Do you bring a, a birthday gift for every party you're invited to? I usually with that, it's one of those things where I don't feel like it's going to move the needle that much. There are other much bigger issues like going out to eat all the time or getting a car loan or just carrying around credit card debt endlessly without any plan to attack it. If I'm invited to a birthday party and it's one of those things where you know you're expected to bring a gift or a wedding or a graduation, a bridal shower, baby shower, I always bring like the normal, I don't try to be frugal about it. Like I'll try to bring whatever, you know, $50 gift for showers or weddings, but like for a birthday party, you know, whatever is normal, 20 bucks or less probably for birthday parties. But that's one of those relationship slash social norm things that I wouldn't try to change single-handedly. So I'll just do what's expected of me and try to find a different place in my budget to cut down. So again, if you set out a budget at the beginning of the month and you say, okay, we're usually invited to this number of birthday parties or graduations or whatever, and put 50 or $100 or something in that budget, which I don't think we even spend near 100 a month on something like that, probably more like 50, even if that. Put it in the budget though, so that whenever it comes time for you to be at the store buying the gift, you're able to just grab something on the registry and not worry about spending a little bit of extra money there. Thoughts on kids savings and college funds. So I got this one a lot. We do have something set up for our kids. There are accounts that you can set up for your kids that are tax advantages. I believe it's a 529 plan that we have for our kids and that's just a tax advantage thing. So I believe that the money grows tax deferred, which means that you're not paying on the gains. They're not paying taxes on the gains. I'll have to double check that one. And if you're a financial advisor, you know, check with a financial advisor on that. But we do have some kind of fund for that. But I believe whatever it is that we have for our kids, they could use it for something else too, because I don't want to lock them into college. I think that there are a lot of other ways to succeed in the world. And I'm not saying that college isn't one of them, but I would like to be able to hand my kids at 18 or whatever age is appropriate for each child, a chunk of money to put towards either a business or college or a trade school or whatever they end up being interested in or good at, or whatever they have a natural bent toward, I would like to help them start their life. I don't think college is the only one at all. I think that you can learn a lot of things in different ways, but that is something that is not one of the priorities. So if you do listen to Dave Ramsey and his baby steps, I know that getting an emergency fund's the first thing, and then there's paying off all of the debts, and you go through several steps before you get to the part where you're saving money for your kids. So I wouldn't worry about it right now if you are in debt. That is not something that I would consider thinking about, but at some point, yes. Best ways to invest money when there's extra. Roth 403B, money market. So a Roth IRA is essentially just a tax shelter. So you'll still be investing in the market like in a mutual fund, but you will be putting in money after tax. So you'll pay tax, put the money in, and then it'll grow tax deferred, which basically just means that you're not paying any taxes as it grows. And then when you take it out, it's tax free after 69 and a half during retirement. Hey, I'm editing this podcast and I wanted to jump in because I caught a mistake that I said. I said 69 and a half actually with Roth IRAs, you start pulling out at 59 and a half. So just 
said the wrong thing and wanted to make sure that I came on and corrected it. So a Roth IRA is the absolute best thing to put your money into. Now, if your work has a retirement fund that they match, do as much as they'll match. So say they'll match 3% of your income or something. Put in that full amount because it's free money. Like if they're gonna match on top of your 3% contribution, you should do as much of that as you possibly can. But then after that, if you still have some extra money to invest, max out the Roth IRA. It's so advantageous that people who make over a certain income can't invest in them and there's a limit. So it's really smart to every single year max out a Roth IRA. Now, if you are above the amount of income that you can't do a Roth IRA, another option is a traditional IRA. The difference is that a traditional IRA is where you pay the money before tax. So you're not paying any income tax on the money you put in. So it's like a tax write-off basically. But then whenever you take it out, you have to pay the tax. So you'll be paying on the earnings ultimately because you didn't pay it up front. So that's why the Roth is so much better, better than the traditional, but the traditional does still have some tax benefits. Talk to a financial advisor. It is important to start investing. The biggest thing you have on your side if you don't have income is time. If you put things in an investment calculator between like starting at age 19 and putting in a certain amount per month or starting at age 40 or even 25 or 30, time will allow you to put in a small amount and have a huge amount at retirement because of compound interest. So the earlier you can start is definitely better. I started investing in my retirement at age 19. Luke did also. Well, I think he might've been more like early 20s. But if you haven't started yet, there's always time. There's always time to get started and you're better off today starting than you will be five years from now. Is it selfish to save for retirement instead of college for my kids? Asking for a friend. I actually read this question out loud to Luke and he goes, he said something funny, but I forget exactly how he said it, but it was something along the lines of, I mean, your kids are the ones who are gonna have to take care of you when you're broke in retirement. So it's not selfish because, you know, they're still gonna have to cover that burden at some point. So I would probably prioritize retirement over college savings for kids if I had to choose because when they're able-bodied 20 year olds, they can find a way to pay for that college. Whereas if you're 65 and things are starting to deteriorate, um, you're going to have trouble. So I would recommend, yeah, no, that's not selfish. Okay. I got lots of questions about Christmas for kids, toys for kids. I'm minimal on that for so many reasons. One is that it all just gets lost in my house. I mean, we have some classic toys like the Legos and train sets for the boys and then like the girls love their American Girl 18 inch dolls or whatever. They have off-brand ones, some American Girl ones, but a lot of little things like the kids will get a little stuffed, you know, plushy thing when we're out and about or they'll bring home a little ball. There's just so many random things that end up coming home. I will end up letting them get them and then getting rid of them usually is how it works and they often don't even notice. But here's the thing with Christmas. We are blessed in that my kids have so many grandparents. They still have several great grandparents, all their grandparents. And so I always know that my kids are gonna get so much stuff, like more than I'm ever gonna want. And so usually, I will just buy what goes in the stocking on Christmas morning. And then my grandma usually gives me an amount to spend on them because she doesn't wanna go shopping for them. She really can't physically do that. 
And so sometimes I do like one big thing, like I'll pull all their money together and get something like a playground or, you know, a trampoline or something. But then a couple years, I actually just got them a whole bunch of stuff that'd be fun to open that I knew would be something they could play with for a while and then ultimately forget about. So I've gone either strategy with that. I just definitely don't try to spend a whole lot of money on it because there's only so many things that my kids seem to remember and enjoy playing with. Other things just get lost in the shuffle. Okay, so more on investments and getting started with that. You can just find a local investment person. We've always just invested in mutual funds. Usually an investment person will assess like based on your age. So if you are younger, you can tolerate a lot more risk. And so they'll put you in a mutual fund that has more risky components to it. So basically the way that that mutual funds work is if you're brand new to investing is it'll take hundreds of different companies or um, bonds, different investments, pull them together into one fund. There's a fund manager. And so it's like having your dollar or your thousand dollars in a bunch of different places so that if one company fails, you don't lose all of your money. Now you could just go invest straight in a stock. That's a lot more risky and usually will you know, you could win big or you could lose big. But if you invest in like an established company that's been around forever, usually that's a much less riskier investment. Bonds are super safe. So if you can't tolerate any loss whatsoever, your investment advisor might put you into a bond fund. So it'll be a mutual fund made up of several different bond accounts. Now it's been a while since, I used to actually have an investment license. I had a series six and a series 63. I'm definitely rusty, but I do know the basics and um, investing in the market does not have to be scary. Anybody can do it and you don't have to have a ton of money to start with. Sometimes you might just have $500 to get the account started or even less. And one really great thing to do, and this is something that we do. We like to invest at the end of the year whenever we, you know, we're assessing our business and our taxes and all that, but we also really like to invest monthly. And the advantage of that is something called dollar cost averaging. So you are buying, when you're buying every single month, you're buying at the market's highs and the market's lows. You're buying all the time. So it's not like taking 20 grand, like let's say you save and save and save and you have $20,000 and you put it all in the market. What if the market's really high and then crashes the next month? Now, of course, you're in a mutual fund, so you're diversified, but the market as a whole, the top 500 companies, the S&P goes down, your money is going to go down. Whereas if you're investing instead over the course of 20 months, $1,000 a month, you are getting the market, you're buying it cheap, you're buying it expensive, you're buying it in between, and you'll get more of that um, average, historical average in the market. So dollar cost averaging is a good idea. You can meet with an investment advisor and have them put your money into either a risky or a not as risky fund or somewhere in between a certain amount every month. Now, keep in mind that the reason they want to put you in something more risky if you're younger is you have time to ride the market out. So for example... I'll try not to go too in depth in this, but let's say that you are 55 and you invest all this money and it's in something so volatile, so risky that it goes down and then you have to pull it out in two years or something because you're retiring. You don't have time for that to, to average back up. The thing is, is you really don't lose money in the stock market or in mutual funds until you sell, until you cash it out. You don't actually lose any cash, even when the market's down, if you didn't if you didn't cash it out. So I was looking at some of my statements during the middle of Rona and it wasn't pretty, but here's the thing. I didn't pull any money out. 
So I still own the same number of shares that I own going into that. And since I'm not needing the money right now because I'm not retiring, I have time for the market to go back up again. It'll probably go down and up again three times before I actually retire. So that's why you can afford to be in something a little bit more risky. Higher, higher risk equals higher return. So if you're young, you have time to really capitalize on the time and um and compound interest. Fascinating stuff, and it's not complicated. I mean, seriously, if you haven't started investing, I do recommend getting started on that. Could you talk about baby stuff more? What items do you buy? Your essentials list is so small. So I do have a list of baby essentials, and it is small because I really don't use anything for my babies. Um, Micah was the first kid that I used a little swing for, and he really liked this certain swing. And so I talked about it in my essential list with Daniel because I was like, well, that was awesome. Daniel hated the thing. So all I really used for Daniel was a wrap, a nursing cover for sometimes when out in public, I would use that. Car seat, I did have a double stroller, and then just like five little sleepers. I'm not kidding. I don't need any more than that. With Daniel, I didn't even use swaddle blankets. I mean, it was the most minimal thing. I still don't even own a bottle. I've never needed a bottle. Luke and I thought about not taking Daniel on one of our date nights soon, actually tonight's date night. And we thought about not taking him and I was like, you know, I could pump some milk because a friend gave me a breast pump. And I'm like, wait a minute, I don't even have a bottle. So yeah, there's milk, but I don't even have a bottle for the kid. So yeah, I don't use a lot of gear for babies. But again, I think sometimes people focus on the wrong things whenever trying to get out of debt and save. Like sometimes I think people will try to save $5 here, $10 here, instead of focusing on the bigger things, like setting their budget, investing, paying down debt, not getting into like car debt, for example. Should I invest in an extra freezer to buy things in bulk and save for later? I personally think, yes, that is a good investment. And the reason is it's really difficult to find quality meat if you aren't buying in bulk. So if you wanna buy from a local farmer, that's pretty much out unless you wanna buy in bulk or if you wanna pay a lot. Now, if you wanna to go to the store and buy all organic meat, first of all, it's still not gonna be the highest quality meat because it's just might be raised with like non-GMO corn, but you're gonna pay a lot. And so I think ultimately that extra freezer really will pay off. And I I personally am happy that we have that. And it, it allows me a lot of freedom in not only buying from local farmers, but also in throwing together meals that are super cheap and healthy. So when you have a freezer full of meat, there's not a lot of grocery shopping. You just need to get fresh stuff, but stock up on grains and meat. Just getting that fresh stuff is all you actually need, maybe some butter and milk and cheese. But other than that, you're so close to a home-cooked healthy meal. So for example, if you look in your fridge and you see that you have nothing to cook, what happens? You'll order pizza, you'll go out to eat. But if you have a freezer full of meat, that just doesn't happen. There's always something. Even if it's not thought out, you could put some ground beef, ground venison, whatever you bought into a cast iron skillet on low with the lid on, let it cook, and you always have something. You could pair it with a side of rice, a frozen veggie, and dinner. There's never an excuse for I don't have anything to cook whenever you buy meat in bulk. All right, I only take a few more because I know that I'm getting way super long here. How do you save money without it being depressing and allowing some fun purchases? That is important because if you're thinking that this whole thing is just like, life is gonna be doom and gloom for the next five years while you get this whole thing sorted out, I don't see how you're gonna stick with that. And that is the reason for the budget. If this is a struggle for you and you don't feel like you can do it, 
you really need a budget so that you can enjoy fun purchases, but also know that you are on track. You have to know where each dollar is going. You can't just hope that it all works out. Okay, this one's good. I wanna be a stay-at-home mom, and I think that my hubby would be on board if I could prove that it saves us money too. Can it save money for me to stay home versus work? Yes, totally. So many reasons why. One is you don't have to obviously childcare. That's a really big deal. That takes a huge chunk right off the top. Another is consider that you are paying taxes on your income. So you're already not bringing home as much as you might think that you are. Next, are you buying food out because you're working? Do you have to spend extra money on a car? So do you feel like you need a nicer car to get to and from work? Do you need to buy extra clothing for work? If you're gonna be at home, here's some things that you can do. So I used to think about this a lot whenever I was a stay-at-home mom. I mean, I'm still a stay-at-home mom, but now I'm also the main income earner with my blog. But before when Luke was working and I wasn't making any money at home, which was for a good five years, um, I was a stay-at-home mom earning basically no money and Luke worked a job that paid us about 40,000 a year. And people often, often wondered how we could continue to live with just one income. And I would think about how many things I was able to do at home that I could either work and pay for those things done or I could stay home and do them myself. So essentially you are working for yourself and you are earning money because you're not spending on all those things. So cooking from scratch, cooking the most basic meals that cost next to nothing like grains, meat, fruits, veggies, basic stuff. Learning how to sew and make over your own furniture instead of being too busy to look at Facebook Marketplace because you have a full-time job and kids or upholster that couch. You can do that yourself and save that money there. That's just a really small example, but there are so many things that if you have a couple of kids and you have to pay for daycare for two or three kids, unless you really make a lot of money, it doesn't really pay off to go to work. So if I were in a situation like that and I really wanted to stay home and my husband was almost on board with it, I would say, okay, could we sell the car? Could we sell the house? How could we get this financial position into something very basic and minimal so that with just me doing a few extra cost-saving things, ends would meet, and I could just be home with the kiddos? Write it out on paper how much you really need. You might be surprised if you if you get rid of a few things and a few debts, you might be surprised how little you actually need to stay home. How do you implement the habit to save money for emergencies? Again, just it's gotta be in the budget. You have to give every dollar an assignment and know where it's going. Did you put all extra money you had towards your house? Is that how you paid it off so fast? Yes, that is how we did it. Do you ever pay for childcare? I do now for a, a weekly date night, but we never did while we were getting out of debt. Do you homeschool your children to save money only or what's your main ideology for homeschooling your kids? I don't feel like that would be something that would save money. To me, homeschooling is one of the most expensive schools because you're essentially taking a, a human being, like a, a woman who could, or a woman or man, who could go get another job outside the home and make like $40,000, but instead is choosing to stay home with their children and educate them. So really, I feel like homeschool is actually pretty, pretty costly, but it's a personal choice that we've made to have that dedicated one-on-one -on -one education time. How do you handle your kids wanting things? So this is something that I allow my kids to make money doing things, not like just regular chores. They have to put their laundry away and all of that. I don't expect them to, they don't have to make money doing that. 
but there'll be extra things. I let them make money. I keep a little chart in my phone on how much I owe them. And then I let them spend their own money. So it's sometimes embarrassing at the store because they, they know this system, but other people don't. And so they'll have something in their hand that's like a food item and be like, mom, am I paying for this or you? And I'm like, I am, quiet. <laughs> I don't make my kids buy their food, but it'll be a fun item that I wouldn't normally buy. And so that's the reason they're saying that, but it's just funny because it makes it sound like I make my kids pay for their food. But um, yes, and then other, other than that, like I say no a lot. I mean, a whole lot. I'm like, just no, <laughs> you're not getting that. I don't want it in my house and you don't need it. Do you like to eat out and or buy coffee out? I do, that is like a weakness of mine. I love it. Like if we're out and about, I always wanna go get coffee. And even though the coffee at home is even better, it's just fun. I like having that little cup with the blended up coffee and the espresso, it's just, I don't know, You, if you're into it, you understand. Trying to pay off our mortgage in 10 years. I know you are paid off, any advice? I go way more in depth on this in episode 12 of this podcast, our mortgage-free story and what debt freedom has done for us. So if you want to hear more about uh, how we paid off our house really quickly in less than five years, you can hear that there. And we have not taken on any house debt since then as well. All right, I'm gonna take one last question and then close it there because I know I'm getting pretty long here, but would you buy a house if you still have debt? That depends on the debt. Now I've listened to many a Dave Ramsey caller who asked Dave this question and he always probes to find more information about the situation, like how much their income is, how much debt they have, what kind of debt. And then he usually goes on to a spiel about how if you can't afford a house, it's a blessing that turns into a curse. So buying a house is not always the answer. It's not the answer for every financial situation. Sometimes renting does just make more sense. It really does in certain situations. And so it really just depends on how much debt you have, how much house you buy and what your income is. So I recommend listening to some Dave Ramsey um, on this on this topic. Just go to YouTube and search for his, his name and then uh, maybe search something like, should I buy a house? And you'll get all kinds of opinions on it. But he is an advocate for it is not always financially wise to buy a house because as soon as you are in this huge debt, you're stressed to the max. As soon as you buy a house, guess what happens? The water heater goes out, the roof leaks, and the basement starts moving or something, like the foundation starts moving. Something bad will happen and you won't have any money to address it and then it'll just snowball and be a bigger and bigger problem because you won't have enough money to fix it, it'll get worse. Unless you are prepared for some of that, it's not smart to, to buy a house, so. All right, well, I hope that this helped to answer some of your questions on frugality and debt freedom. It's a huge part of our life. It's the reason that we were able to take a risk and start blogging full time because we just don't owe anybody anything and it makes life a lot more simple and carefree. Thanks so much for listening. If you do not yet have access to the Farmhouse on Boone subscriber library, that's a place where you can get all of my free printables and eBooks that will help you on your simple living journey. You can get that at farmhouseonboone.com slash farmhouse resources. Thanks so much for listening and I will see you in the next episode of the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast. Mm -hmm.